Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. So you're still enjoying your dessert and uh, conversation. Uh, there's one information I uh, have to read, which is about next week. Uh, we don't have the paper that we used, usually have. Uh, people are busy. So, uh, next week on Thursday, March the 5th, the speaker will be Benjamin, how do you pronounce, Maine. Benjamin Maine. And Ernest, Ern, Ernst, Truggle. No, Truggle. See, I'm still learning English. They come from a local university radio station, CKXU. They are going to deal with the question of monopoly of media, like Raul mentioned. And uh, they operate a small radio station locally. So their subject is, what is the benefit of community radio station? And... Also, what is the value of having independent media? That will be next week on Thursday, March the 5th. Speakers are two persons operating local radio station, CKXU. Uh, Now time for question and answer. I uh, ask you to Come to the microphone and uh, mention your name and please cut any kind of a speech to three seconds and go straight into the question and on the condition that you address your question to one person or both. So please mention either Raul from Mexico or Sandin from Calgary. Just mention Sandin or Raul or both and then ask questions, please. Uh, so Raul and Sandin, would you come forward? And uh, those people who want to ask questions, please line up at the microphone. Mention your name first. And we don't have free speech here. This is my dictatorship. Okay, I... I can't stick to three seconds. I'm sorry. I'll do my best to keep it short, though. Uh, And my comment and my question is addressed to Raul. Maria Fitzpatrick. Okay, my comment. Uh, You may have only been here for a month and a half, uh, but your example and your assessment of what goes on in your country is pretty darn close to what's going on right now for us. 
<laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> now, you said that uh, having digital uh, social media uh, certainly helped to uh, have some freedom of speech and better discourse uh, when discussing things in your country. So my question to you is, what can we do to ensure protection of our civil liberties, uh, given the current federal legislation uh, called the Anti-Terror Bill? Well, I think that the, the very use of free speech through all these new media outlets, through all these uh, digital media that exist right now, is probably uh, the one of the most powerful tools that the ordinary citizen has. Like in any democracy, uh, the government really has to pay attention to what people think or what people feel about the policies, even if it's only to get re-election next time. So I think that if... Um, yeah, like if the sentiment against this uh, bill is really uh, so strong, then it should be like demonstrated through these uh, through these blogs, through Twitter, through Facebook, through everything, so so that the government knows that it is taking a big risk, a big political risk uh, that would uh, probably make it lose further elections if they anger the population. So, But like the opinion of the population must be heard first in order for this to work. that uh, are protecting the, the wealth of corporations, for example, or the, or the super rich that are developing all over the world, are they not even smarter than the rest of us at controlling the, the, uh, the Internet and, and what's going on with the, with the general media? So just to reiterate your question, you were more directing it about um, how how we as the people have power through the media. Is that correct? Right. Okay. Um, oh, that's a, that's a really good question. <laughs> okay. My thoughts would definitely be. The people, yes, the, there is a large part of media that is controlled by people who have a great influence. A lot of companies, they will hire, um, they'll hire, company, uh, they'll hire media to, to report on them, and they have a very high influence onto a lot of what our media is. So I guess, yes, that is a main factor in what we see. But I think also with us personally having control over what we post and how we influence the media also puts our opinions out there, and it also allows us to have a saying on another level that's different than 
the national news or news that is uh, usually influenced by the idea to make money or to support a different company. Does that partly answer your question? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a little... Right. Okay. Now I know what you're talking about, like, fully. Uh, that's a good question because, okay, uh, what he was talking about was how um, not only do we have control over the, in, like, the Internet and what's put on there, but also companies. Is that correct? Exactly. And that's a really good point because, uh, you see, companies today are paying people on the Internet to promote their business. When we look at the Better Business Bureau, a lot of the times the good reviews are actually paid to be good reviews, and that influences us to buy different products. I, I know this firsthand because I have worked for a couple companies where their business, better, better Business Bureau has been less than a C, and it's only because people, yeah, people post negative reviews, but it costs money to post good reviews to something. So... Yeah, definitely. People, the companies have a very strong influence over the internet and how how we perceive it because we look to the internet for more information. And if companies are influencing it, then we are being falsified by our misrepresentation of what is actually out there. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you, uh, Terry Shellington. Uh, I'm sorry, did Raul want to respond? Um, yeah, I would like <clears throat> just to comment uh, that like, for me, I, I don't think that, the, of course, the, the, the Internet and these new digital technologies are a panacea that will cure all democracy's problems, but they certainly are a very important additional weapon that a citizen has to stand up to these uh, uh, <clears throat> other powers that, that also exist and influence. A, a democracy, and one of the main reasons why the internet is so powerful in this respect is that a lot of the media power, power of information, was taken away from the big media corporations, from the big media uh, models that uh, controlled basically all information uh, in the last century. Like this man I quoted, Emilio Ascara, was the, the president of, of Televisa during many years. He was, during most of that time, the richest man in Mexico, and he was, uh, and it was obviously a very conflictive fact, the fact that the richest man in Mexico also owns basically the only television company in the country, and at the same time, he considers himself a soldier of the ruling party. It's obvious that it is a huge conflict of interest that doesn't benefit anyone. And... Um, even if right now, after the internet and everything, the company is still exists and is still important, right now the ordinary citizen has a lot of other options where he can get information. You can get information from all kinds of blogs, of websites, of independent uh, news outlets that, are, that get information from other sources. It's a much more democratic way to, to get information, and at the same time, it also gives power to, to the citizens to, to respond. Like uh, what happened last year in the United States after uh, this 
uh, this kid was killed in, in Ferguson, uh, Missouri, by, by the police, that it became a huge trending topic, the whole country. And it really became, uh, like, it's not, it, it, unfortunately, it's not so uncommon in the United States for uh, an African-American kid to be killed by the police. But this case became famous because of the uh, of the common action of the uh, of the citizens through social networks, and and this was what made it to become an, uh, a national news. So I, I think it, it, it these examples are like what show the power that digital media have in empowering citizens and providing a counterbalance of power against uh, both governments and big corporations. Yeah, my question is. Uh First of all, to Sandon, um, uh, I'd be interested in hearing you say more about how we actually protect ourselves uh, from, from uh, loss of uh, private information, given the kind of technological world we live in. For example, I can't remember the last time I gave out my, my um, uh, SIN number. However, I, I, I am sure I have, but I can't remember the last time. However, uh, I presume if you have a person's credit card information, you have indirectly access to all that stuff, and um, you, you're, if you camp anywhere in Canada, you're probably going to do it by credit card and probably online, and if I want to buy a Flames ticket, you know, I'm, I'm going to give away that information either online or over the telephone. So I'm wondering how you, um, short of a, living in a cash society, I, I'm wondering how you suggest we protect ourselves. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think the the difference is you're reaching out to go buy a ticket or you're you're reaching out to do something you have control over um how you have a lot more control over how much you give because you are the one initiating it if you want to buy a flames ticket and they're like okay we're going to need uh, your name and your credit card now, because your credit card is linked to all this other information, yes, there is a potential that they can look it up and find out so much more information to you. But if you feel like if you feel like that way is not the best option, there there are ways you can get around that. Either going through a ticket booth and paying cash, or you can buy prepaid credit cards, or ways that distinguish you from your identity. And also, like I was talking about, the, the trustworthy of the company, the, the background that it has. If you're actually going through the ticket office, like ticket masters, you, you know for sure that they are they're trustworthy because they, they have credited by the government and stuff, right? Yeah, that's debatable. But <laughs> you, you, you have more certification from one of those companies than if you were to buy it off Kijiji and pay through credit card. Because Kijiji, all payments should be made through cash, and the only way to contact them is through an email address. So it's just the reluctant – how much you're willing to give away for what the value of that product is actually worth to you. Is that Does that answer your question? Okay. Raul, you want to have – you have any say about this? No. Bev Mundell Atherstone, thank you both for your talk. Um, Raul, I loved I loved a lot of the language that you used, <clears throat> and as Maria Fitzpatrick mentioned earlier, the parallel with Alberta is astonishing. Uh, we've had uh, one party for over forty years. We hope we won't have it for seventy um, <laughs> before people wake up, but. Um, 
You mentioned two things, that we need an educated public and a free press. Um, perhaps that is the problem in Alberta with all the cutbacks to our education facilities, both elementary to high school and post-secondary. Um, perhaps that is one of the issues, is that we are keeping people distracted. We're certainly keeping people um, working very hard so that they can't they can't even, don't even really have time to think. So my question to you is, what do you think was the nub? What do you think, you, you mentioned that it was a diversity of media that helped change the vote from 1997 and 2000 um, to be the end of that government. We have free media. We have all kinds. We have texting, Twitter, internet, and so on. We have that. Um, we do have an educational system. Um, we do not have a monopoly. Well, we have a semi-monopoly in our media owned by only four companies. So what would you suggest using your model of Mexico and how you changed from a one-party state to Albertans, how we can change from a one-party state? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, <laughs> the the situation in in Mexico in, in the nineties was uh, uh, was very particular and, and, and very unique, and I think it was in part because of all that situation that people finally woke up. Because people, it's very easy for them to get used to something to get comfortable in it and just like get numbed into it and don't really pay a lot of attention to what is happening. I, uh, in that case, what happened was that uh, NAFTA got uh, in place in 94. La uh, later that year, at the beginning of 95, a huge economic crisis started uh, with uh, a devaluation of uh, of the Mexican peso of more than one thousand percent. There was an, an uprising in the south of the country by some of the indigenous tribes, and at the same time, the opposition party finally found a very charismatic uh, candidate uh, for the two thousand election. So uh, it was. Uh, it, like the whole situation really forced the people to wake up, I think, and at the same, uh, and also since uh, since the, the early 90s, the, other media outlets starting appearing, and this allowed these particular all, all these situations to really become become national scandals on a magnitude that hasn't hadn't been seen before in Mexico, but. Um, but in great part, I think that democratic transition was also aided by all the, like all the big crises that happened during that time that forced people to wake up, and um, yeah, I, 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 I don't think that the best suggestion would be to have a crisis in, in Alberta. So, so yeah, it's a, uh, it, it, it's in. It's complicated, but at the same time, like the natural process of politics, what usually happens in most of cases is that after the same party rules for 
two or three straight periods, like it starts getting natural, like I don't really find the, the precise word, but it gets it starts getting like like it, it, the image starts naturally getting tarnished in front of public opinion after being for some amount of time in power. Like if we if we see in the United States. It's very it's very rare that the same party wins four consecutive elections. Usually, after the third one, people just uh, m maybe they are not so fed up with that government, but they just say, "Okay, uh, I'm a bit tired. I want change." And uh, so, yeah, it's it, it, it's complicated once that like natural cycle doesn't happen and it lasts for so long. But at least in Mexico, for example, it was also in great part like. Uh, fault of the of the opposition that didn't really have a, a very charismatic uh, leader that people found as a viable option. So they said, okay, uh, I don't love the president, I don't love his party, but but he gives me stability, and the other party doesn't give me someone that really draws me to him. So I I, I don't really know what would be the solution in Alberta, but. I, I think it, uh, it it depends on a, lo a, a lot of factors. <laughs> Sandon, do you have anything to say? My name is uh, Knut Peterson. Thanks very much for taking part of the Student Speaker Challenge. You guys, it was very enlightening. And thanks also for coming to speak to a slightly older crowd. <laughs> Uh, there were, recently, there was a poll in the Lathbytel, I think a couple of days ago, uh, asking the, for opinion on the uh, new anti-terrorism bill, Bill 51. And uh, the uh, majority was not concerned. And I suspect uh, this, the respondent to that survey was probably also a slightly older crowd. So I'd like to ask you, the younger people, if you have any concerns about that bill, uh, or, if you, or if it's even uh, on the radar of most uh, university students. Yeah, I really like how you brought that up because I just was reading about uh, I was reading about that bill this morning and. The one thing that really concerned a lot of people was their lack of education towards what it is, what really this bill is doing for them and for, for their future. And so I think when you start to educate the people on what is happening, why that affects them, and how it affects them, that's when you start to really get a solid poll on if they like it, if they support it, or if they don't. And... Um, with the thing about privacy and how the major part of this anti-terrorism bill is the way it takes away privacy. And the thing that I really realize is that people don't truly understand why they value privacy or they don't value privacy as much as they should. And I talked about this in one of my speeches with this, um, the civil liberty speech. And I talked about why privacy is important. And to sum it up, it's basically because it shapes who we are. It's our identity. And this way, um, the act of being alone and collecting yourself is where we 
inspire creativity. It's where we develop ourselves as people. And so when I thought, I start to think that if people understood what privacy really did to them and how this new anti-terrorism act actually affected them and their values, they would they would be more hesitant towards supporting it or. Maybe they would support it. It's it's all based on their opinion and how much education that they put into learning about this. So I think that's my comments about that. Um, well, I'm I, I'm not really so familiar with with the bill, but uh, from what I've heard from from people, I think that uh, it's always a very delicate and potentially dangerous situation to to give the government power to regulate free speech because once they get the power to regulate free speech, they also get the power to decide what is acceptable and what is unacceptable. And given that condition, free speech cannot exist. Free, uh, free speech is free only if it's free. And in order for it to be free... No one can have the power to decide what one can or one cannot say. So, yeah, I think it's always uh, dangerous to give any authority the power to to decide what is acceptable or what is unacceptable speech. I just have one more comment to add about that, actually. Um, no, that Raul is completely right. There's a mindset that goes behind it. And when we look at this mindset, we see that there's two distinct groups of people. There's good people and bad people. And then when we usually characterize bad people as people who are committing murders or planning terrorist attacks, those are bad people. And they should have their privacy taken away because they're endangering us. But then when we look at good people, what do we see? We see people who go to work. They use the internet for planning their soccer, their kids' soccer game, not for plotting terrorist attacks or anything. And basically what we're saying is that we're deeming these people harmless and boring because they're good people. And they shouldn't have anything to worry about because they don't have anything threatening. And the whole idea behind the bad people is that bad people, when we really characterize bad people, it's people who are posing a threat to the current political standings. And those are the people that we should watch out for. Those are the people that we should, in theory, take away their privacy because they are posing harms to the political power, not so much to others. Now, of course, there's exceptions with that, but I think that's the main mindset that we need to be aware of. My name is uh, Henry Heinen, and picking up on bad people... This is a question for Raoul, and in my reading and seeing, you also have, of course, the drug cartels in Mexico, and uh, the latest big incident was the killing of all these students and trying to cover that up. I want to know if there's any complicity with the present government and not doing a whole lot about that. And um, secondly... I also noticed that maybe through social media, and I'm a dinosaur when it comes to social media, that a lot of the people actually got up and demonstrated and wanted to call people to account. Now, maybe you can comment on that, and let me compliment you on what you've uh, done today 
I was a student on a university campus in Michigan in the 60s, and that's when finally students got a voice, and we had a lot of trouble on campuses. So the, your approach seems to me um, a very good one by doing it behind the mic. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, actually, my first pitch in, in this student ch speaker challenge was about this uh, situation with the students. And, of course, there was a huge complicity with the local government. Nothing has still been proven about uh, higher levels of government. But what, what is already common knowledge right now and what is like completely demonstrated right now is that these students were originally not kidnapped by the drug cartels. They were kidnapped by the municipal police of the, uh, of the county where this happened under the orders of the mayor of, of that county, whose wife was the sister of the, uh, of the leader of the drug cartel that, appeared, that, that operated in, in that area. Um, what happened here was that the originally the students were coming from a rural community uh, to uh, to protest in the like in the county seat to against the the mayor and his policies. At the time, at the same time that the mayor was uh, holding a rally to promote the achievements of his administration, and he was going to. The, uh, like uh, declare his wife as the candidate to succeed him as mayor. And when he learned that there was going to be a demonstration here, he sent the police to stop the students. They, like the police went, stopped the buses in which the students were traveling, and before anything else, they started opening fire against the buses. Uh, six people died at that moment, including a woman that was riding a taxi nearby. Um, then many of the students fled, 43 of them were captured, and they were delivered to the, like, to the gang members. Then, then they proceeded to kill all the 43 students and burn the bodies so that nothing would ever be found. And yeah, no, no bodies have been found except the, like, the calcinated remains of one of them, but it's pretty sure that all of them had the same fate because later uh, the, uh, the suspects that have been captured uh, because of the, their involvement in, in this crime, they all tell the same story about what happened to the, to, to the students. Um, and, and yes, it is very remarkable the, the level of like, public response, of the public backlash that happened um, regarding that uh, uh, I I that crime, because it it has been really huge. Even uh, this happened in, in September, and there have been uh, demonstrations, and big demonstrations, with uh, tens of thousands of people every uh, like three or four times per month in Mexico City and in in the state where this happened. And it, I think it's pretty sure that the uh, like. Most of the main responsibles of this crime have been arrested because of the public response. I think that when the mayor ordered this to happen, he, he, he expected that it would be like 
a lot of the crimes that happen in Mexico that they are never like really investigated and nobody ends up in jail. And he never expected that the public reaction would be so big. And I think that's the reason he's in jail right now. If it hadn't been because of that, nothing would have happened. Thank you very much. Um, now, uh, there's one person standing. Can you stand one more question? Is it okay? The last one. This isn't a question. This is about the anti-terror bill. Um, in Canada, we've got a couple of different uh, departments that look after the security of the country. Well, several. Uh, one is CSIS, uh, one is our border services, and the other is CSEC, which is a security establishment. And uh, they can cover anything that goes on in terms of security in the country. Uh, they monitor when there's uh, warrants or uh, when there's uh, a judge who provides uh, a search warrant or a warrant to tap phones or media or whatever. Uh, this bill broadens what's going to happen. And, in fact, they won't be required to get a warrant from a judge to do these monitoring. And that's what we need to worry about because if I stand up and say I'm opposed to something, then I can be targeted as uh, a terrorist. So we should be aware of those things. Thank you very much. Uh, before you give them applaud, you realize that they are in the middle of a midterm exam. It's quite a sacrifice for them to get the time out and come here, and we should appreciate that very much. Thank you very much.